0: Hello everybody, I'm Aaron Martell. I'm Ray Zimmer. And I'm Mike Cordes. And welcome to Albumatics, a podcast where we discuss and analyze a musical album of our choice. Ray picked the episode we're going to review, and he chose Big Country's 1983 debut album, The Crossing. So Ray, how did you discover Big Country and the debut record?
1: Well, I probably would have been around 1983, so I was about nine years old. And uh, I remember the song in a big country was on the radio like non-stop and i i loved it at the time i thought it was pretty unique i loved a lot of that stuff of that era too and then about a year later i remember watching solid gold and they had the band on and they did it in a big big country and then they also did fields of fire which i'd never heard before and i loved that track right off the bat i got ford mortage like my junior high high school years i kind of like for whatever reason looking back it's stupid now but i tried to like separate that myself from those you know, years of really liking Flock of Seagulls and Duran Duran and <laughs> uh, the Thompson Twins and stuff like that. I was like, oh, dude, those guys aren't rock. Um, <laughs> so like, I went through a long period of not listening to them, although like, in the recesses of my mind, I always still loved In a Big Country. Fast forward to like I was 39 years old, and I read an article in Spin Magazine about the la- later years of Stuart Adamson. And uh, the guy who wrote the article, like, was just singing the praises of the crossing. So I ended up going to Turn It Up Music in Northampton, trying to find it. Couldn't find it anywhere. I had to special order the album, and it came in two weeks later. And then for like that that point, for about two years, like driving back and forth to Worcester, that was another album that was like on constant rotation. Um, so yeah, about at age thirty nine, that's when I got into that album, and it's been a mainstay for me since. All right, rock and
0: Mike.
2: So I knew in a big country um, and I, I I tossed them off as like a new wave hack. And like Ray, there was certain new wave artists that I liked back in the day that I kind of pretended that I didn't didn't like. We had to do uh, reports in school about ba- a band we like. And I remember doing a report on Duran Duran. So, um, nice. yeah, so I, I, I have those new wave leanings as well. Um, this just other than in a big country, I didn't know this at all. So the past two weeks, this album has been a fresh listen for
0: me. All right. Well, my history of big country begins and ends with the song in a big country, too. I heard that on the radio, and I saw the video for it on MTV, and I always liked it. Spoiler alert. But that's all I know. I probably saw other videos for this band. I don't even know what they had. But if I did, I I don't remember them. And as far as this album goes, the first time I ever listened to it was preparing for this podcast, too. So it's new music to fresh ears for me. Now I'll give you some basic facts about this record, with facts in quotations, because I'm using Wikipedia. The Crossing is the debut studio album by Scottish rock band Big Country, released on July 15, 1983 on Mercury Records. It was produced by Steve Lillywhite and was recorded in May 1983 at The Manor, Oxfordshire, England, and RAK Studios, London, England. It reached number three on the UK Albums Chart and number 18 on the US Billboard 200 Chart and is certified platinum by the BPI and gold by the RIAA. And here's the band's lineup card. We've got Stuart Adamson on vocals, guitar, piano, and ebow; Bruce Watson on guitar, mandolin, sitar, vocals, and ebow; Tony Butler on bass and vocals. And Mark Brzezicki on drums, percussion, and vocals. Additionally, all songs are credited to Stuart Adamson, Bruce Watson, Tony Butler, and Mark Brzezicki. All right, let's jump into a track-by-track analysis of this album. We lead off the record with In a Big Country. Hey, what do you say?
1: Well, what else can I say? This is what, like, sucked me into this band originally. I think I got a lot of people in this band, and it was the obvious choice for, like, the first single from this album. What I like about the album version, which you don't have in the radio version, at least I don't recall that from my Casey some listening days, it's this really cool ass drum intro by Mark Brzezicki? And it almost sounds to me, I can't tell 100%, but if there's like overdubs on it, like some of those like tom rolls and stuff going on in the background, maybe, I'm not 100% sure. Maybe he pulled it all off in one take, but I'm a little suspicious. But regardless, the overall effect is astounding, to quote Brad Dourif in The Exorcist 3. And then mm-hmm. the bass sound kicks in at the 20, 25 second mark. Like I, like, I think we talked about this a little earlier. It, it's, it must have been really compressed and it's got like that weird kind of Phil Collinsy, almost Tony Williams power station thing. Like, you know, it just like, <laughs> yeah. almost like a video game explosion noise <laughs> in the background.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it sounds huge.
1: Yeah, huge. Yeah, definitely. But it's also you know like a, that real kind of military thing going on in the background, which I guess uh, Mark Brzezicki says he credits to is uh, Steve Gadd's work on like things like Fifty Ways to Leave Your Lover, which I guess does kind of have like a, a military drum beat in the background. But then we get this sound of like heavy power chords come in and like a really heavily processed guitar melody that down um, which is really what you hear on the radio at it at the 44 second mark. The first go, go at the verse is cool because both I, who I'm not sure who's doing backup vocals with Stuart Adamson, but the vocal harms on this album, I think are like a real, like uncredited fucking, power for this album. There's really good vocal harmonies. Um, Almost kind of like a weird like Everly Brothers kind of level um, without having the high chip monkey effect. And then we get to this one part after after the verse section, we get what I'm going to call throughout the rest of this review as the guitar pipes, because let's be honest, it's the 800 pound gorilla in the room. The guitars sound like fucking bagpipes and you know it. I know it. Stuart Addison and Bruce Watson know it and you love it. At least I love it. So (laughs) We get a guitar pipe section, and it's awesome. Uh, the second run of the verse is just Stuart Adamson solo, and I think his voice sounds fine for this stuff. You know, he's, you're not going to say he's trying to be Robert Plant, but he's himself, which is pretty cool. He's not trying to be you know, operatic. And then at the minute 24 second mark, we get that chorus. And man, as far as like having a talent for writing hooky choruses, these guys have it in fucking gangbusters. As a nine-year-old kid, this chorus like just got completely stuck in my head. It's got a lot of epic imagery with um, like a lover's voice, like a lover's voice fires the mountainside. It just kind of conjures up a lot of shit in your head, and um, and the guitar pipe section almost kind of joins in at that part of the uh, like a lover's voice on the mountainside. Stay alive, and then there's another lines in here like that I like, like you can't stay here when every single hope you've had shattered. I think that's an awesome line. Yeah. Best part of me for me for the for this whole song, is one minute fifty six seconds in. You have the coolest fucking guitar pipe melody ever.
3: Yeah. Um,
1: so that'll sound awesome to <laughs> some people's cats. Um, my version, not their version. Their version just kicks all types of ass. Um, but that melody is like one of those things that just kind of got like seared into my subconscious the first time I heard it. And it's like one of those things that like just plays through my head constantly, even as an adult, you know, mowing the lawn. I'll hear that in the background in my head. <laughs> Another part of this song that's always stuck in my head is I never read too deeply in the lyrics as we all know. But there's some shit that does always stick out for me. And the one that I always liked, even as a wee lad, was uh, I'm not expecting to grow flowers in the desert, but I can live and breathe
0: and see the sun in wintertime. That's my favorite line too.
1: Yeah, it's cool. I mean it's it's I mean there's no like goofiness or weirdness about it it's just straight cut and dried it's i'm i'm a realist i'm not expecting miracles but i can still find some positive and a negative experience you know every cloud is a silver lighting and all that bullshit so it's kind of cool The part where it gets to two minutes and forty-eight seconds, where kind of there's a bit of a return to the intro, and he says, "Pull up your head off the floor, come up screaming, cry out for everything you might have wanted." I think that's awesome. That's like their fucking Oprah Winfrey-esque empowering moment, you know, of just fucking just picking yourself up by your bootstraps and taking care of yourself, and it's fucking cool, man. And I like how they take my favorite guitar pipe section, Melody, and they just kind of put it over the chorus at the 4-minute, 15-second mark. So, man, if you're going to open an album and release a single, this is one hell
2: of a way to do it. That's all I got to say.
0: Rockin' Mike. All
2: right, so I'm only familiar with this song. So right off the rip, it's the song I know. And like, Ray, you were saying the radio edit, I, had, I did not hear the, the drum intro before. And it's freaking cool as hell. It's really cool. I, I like it a lot. And it's a great way to start the album the uh, before all the guitars come in. And I've also always dug the vocal delivery, how the volume, he increases the volume on each line and just kind of, you know, in a big country. And he just kind of every line goes up. The melodic lead work. Um, you, Sometimes you hear a song so many times, but you don't listen to it. And that's kind of. I never really listened to the lead work in it, and I was like, wow, it's really freaking melodic, and, it is, and it's good. Even if you've got a first like baby solo, and then even the solo that it fades out on. The drums, I like the drum sound personally, um, but the bass line for me is where it's at. Uh, it has some great ascending notes with some awesome bends. Uh, Tony Butler, if you, actually, Ray, if you watch some of the YouTube stuff of them live, Tony Butler is the one that's harmonizing with Adamson. Oh He's, nice! Uh, yeah, and um, you—it's weird. You can find almost every song off this album live on on YouTube. which is, is uh, freaking cool as hell. Anyway, um, but for me, um, and you'll everybody will find out why more as the album goes on. For me, this has to be Mike's unimpressed fluffy fuckery.
0: <laughs> what? G- 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 Fuck no! Yep. Get out of here.
2: Yep. Dun, dun,
1: dun. You're a better man than I can get, Dan.
0: Whoa. <laughs> so it starts with the Marshall drums and percussion and Stuart Adamson yelling, Shut! or fuck, or my hemorrhoids are flaring. I don't know what he's shouting, but he does it all <laughs> over the track. The song kicks in with Tony Butler's rolling bass line that occasionally grabs for higher notes, and it sounds cool. And of course, the awesome melodic guitar lines that imitate the sound of bagpipes. It's a signature sound of this record and hammers home the fact that Big Country identifies as a Scottish band. Stuart Adamson's voice is interesting. It doesn't have a huge range and it almost strains in this upper register. It's like taking a great effort to get the notes out, but it really works. It's got this blue-collar everyman kind of quality to it that suits this material well. And to me, it feels like he's like shouting from the mountaintops. Like every line he delivers is making a sort of declaration. Oh, Uh, I dig both the catchy guitar melodies as well as the doubled high and low vocal melodies and they complement each other well. I also like the bridge section where the bass drops out and Stewart lays it on the line vocally before the band roars back in. The lyrics address someone who's in a lot of pain, perhaps suicidal. You've had some setbacks in life and the singer tells that person to pick yourself up and go on, stay alive. And that was the original title of the song. And of course, I love that guitar melody that Ray would do. Ray, how's it go? Oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) This was the third single from the album That reached number 17 on the UK singles chart And number 17 on the US Billboard Hot 100 chart And as we said, the single chopped off The extended beginning drum fill And added the low vocal line on all the verses And I kind of like that better than the album version Though that could be just because I'm more used to it The next track is In Words. Ray, what do you think? It's
1: a fucking great song, man. Holy shit. Is it loaded with hooky guitar tracks or guitar hooks? Um, t- for case in point to listen to the intro, you got this kind of muted staccato guitar in the background which is punctuated by this like little simple trilling guitar melody. And behind that you got Tony Butler and Mark Brzezicki laying down this post-punk backbeat that's like right out of the Cure playbook. And it sounds cool as fuck. The first section we get kind of a cool simple yet effective guitar if that that down and the chorus is good the chorus is really it's odd because it's really short compared to the rest of the verse section but it's got some great guitar hooks in that as as well I wouldn't call the guitar work on the song like traditional guitar interplay, like all along the lines of Keith Richards and Brian Jones or any of the other different incarnations of the Stones guitarists or Perry and Whitford. It's more like the layering of two separate but equally cool guitar parts, which makes like a sonic Scottish lasagna. <laughs> At the minute 57 second-second mark, we get into like a brand new section. At 2 minutes 7 seconds, Tony Butler gets – to throw in some new bass hook melodies, which is kind of cool. There's something to be said for the bassists of this era. I want to point out, like, Steve Severin, Peter Hook, Simon Gallup, and Tony Butler. They're musicians that wanted to make valid bass melodies, not just simply just kind of, like, sitting in a corner with the root and the fifth. I mean, they were actually, like, you know, third voices in the song, which I think was really kind of cool. At 2 minute and 48 seconds, we get, like, another cool kind of hook. underneath the. uh, I want. I wouldn't want to come home on a night like this. In the last verse section, and at three-minute 12 seconds, we have like the longest hang on the chorus for like the entire song. They don't cut out; they just actually stay on it for quite a while. At three minutes and 35 seconds, we get the the verse riff returns, and we almost get like a little little bit of a lead break in the song for for a band that doesn't really do necessarily guitar like flashy guitar solos. They did have like a little lead-ish kind of breaks, I guess you could say. And um, at three minutes 58 seconds, we get like kind of a minor breakdown again, and that ends it ends with one big hook extravaganza complete with splash symbols in the end. So inward is some cool shit.
2: Mike. All right. So Inwards has a simple but incredibly cool riff. I love how it opens up. It's got a great great use of the alternating ascending and descending squeals combined with more of the the cool lead work. Another great bass line. Tony Butler, man. Wow. Just a, just right right there i love what he does the drum sound like i said before doesn't bother me i actually like the drum sound on this entire album it's got an oversized drum sound i picture like a normal sized guy with huge drums like in the hollow notes video they just <laughs> they sound just cavernous just like he's just playing these huge drums but i even the the, the way the lead work slows down to give the illusion of strings before the tempo the tempo picks back up it's just a beautiful ending the last minute of this song is the shite i love it
0: yeah, it's got a cool intro with the two guitars playing two different phrases, like Ray was saying, before it settles into a fast rocker with Butler's bass playing melodic counterpoint and Brzezinski's drums pushing it forward with some nice tom fills. The drums are a highlight, though they sound very 80s, a little bit overproduced, almost fake. It's They're so big. This comes across like a tight post-punk tune, something like early Cure or U2, again, Ray alluded to that, with energetic guitars making a racket but not losing the plot, and what sounds to me like some Ebo making different eerie sounds, I could be wrong about that. There's another section where the bass drops out and Stuart repeats the second verse and some blah, ah, and the rest of the band comes back to repeat the first verse and chorus. The band jams along for another minute, riding the groove until the end with a guitar solo over the top that sounds like high note noodling, but it fits in with the music. The lyrics are pretty open to interpretation, but to me, they reference a conflicted guy who's got a lot on his mind and is keeping it all to himself, even though he's kind of going off the rails. I pull everything was but everything's loose. I don't know. I'm with Stewart on this one. <laughs> That's really good, man. That's awesome. The following track is Chance.
3: Now the skirts hang so heavy around your head that you need...
0: Hey, hit us. This
1: is my A and three plus song. And here's I love this song. It's moody and brooding. It um, starts out with this kind of like muted Andy Summers-like guitar intro. Um, I love there's like a the other guitar that comes in, it's got like almost, I think it's like a chorus, and maybe just a little bit of delay on it, especially the part that supports Stuart Adamson's vocals on the verse section. Followed by at the 26-second mark, a cool as fuck musical passage. And here's my best attempt at it.
3: Bling, bling, blink, 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 bling, bling, bling.
0: It's actually pretty good <laughs> it is very
1: good I, I gotta shove my testicles out of my body cavity to get to the middle <laughs> so i can finish off the rest of this review for that um <laughs> i know they said god damn if it doesn't sound like one or like an electric mandolin or some fucking thing but it's cool as fuck another great song with great lines like from your father's hand which always seemed like a fist reaching out to make you pay but the chorus it's odd because the verse section so moody. The chorus almost sounds like it's going to be positive because it kind of goes to the relative major, which kind of takes you out of the moodiness. But if you listen to the lyrics in this part, it doesn't make you feel much better. That's like, where did the feeling go and I never felt so low? It's kind of a little bit of a mind fuck on the part of Mr. Adamson. Um, at 1 minute and 21 seconds, we get some minimal guitar pipe melody in the background and a return to that <laughs> bling, 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 part, which I love so much. <laughs> we get a return of the verse and the chorus. And of course kind of continues without the vocal at the 2 minute and 45 second mark. And it sounds like they almost turn the fader up on the guitar part in that. And I really kind of like that because it like showcases another dimension of the song. And of course at the 3 minute and 21 second mark they throw some guitar port, some power chords in there kind of like rock it up a bit. And I think it's a cool way to end. It's a it's a little nugget of a song, man, but I tell you what, it's a fucking beautiful whatever 4 minutes that that's, that's in it, involved in it.
2: Mike this is a beautifully lonely song. It's just, it's earnest and pleading at times. The, uh, that, that
0: bling, bling, bling
2: part. I'm not <laughs> going to do it as much as Ray. Um, I keep, I kept getting the feeling that he's going to break into a passage to Bangkok by Rush. So, <laughs> <laughs> And and I'm like, (laughs) yeah, I'm like, all right. Um, But the the baseline pulls back on this song. And rightfully so, because the whole song is bought and sold on Adamson's vocal delivery. Um, It just he can phase the hopelessness and despair of this poor woman in the song, even when he he has the refrain, oh, Lord, you know, two words that you hear all the time. But the way he sings them, there's just so much weight and meaning behind it. This is my absolute favorite song on the entire album. It's just a beautiful song.
0: All right. So this is a mid-tempo tune that has more ebow in the background. I think that provides atmosphere, and it almost acts like a keyboard would in most pop rock songs. The guitars are strum percussively, which is a hallmark of this band. And there's an almost Asian-style melodic guitar line that peppers the track. We've all been Ray. How's to go? <laughs> The chorus is super catchy, and Stewart brings some emotional weight to his vocal performance. The lyrics tell the story of a young woman who was physically abused by her father, but was rescued by a lover who took her away from her father to a new town. But he ends up leaving her after they have two sons of their own. She took a chance on the relationship, but it didn't pay off. The price she paid is high. It's a heavy and depressing subject matter, but it's very well written, and sonically the music is sympathetic to the words. This track was the fourth single from the album that reached number nine on the UK Singles Chart. The next track is A Thousand Stars. your thoughts um
1: guitar pipe orgy that's all (laughs) i can think of no i got other stuff going on here too but um that's another guitar pipe hook extravaganza i love the lyrics in the chorus the luck of a thousand stars couldn't can't get me out of this i think that's pretty fucking cool shit even tony butler even gets like a little bit of a bass like like in that the chorus section as well and at 56 seconds there's like another sick guitar pipe section with both guitars two minutes and one second, you get a muted guitar hook that gets kind of unmuted eventually, but it's kind of like unravels a little bit. And I like that unraveling effect. We get actually some guitar harmonies around two minutes and 21 seconds. There's a couple of times in this album which we do do that. And it's kind of funny because Thin Lizzy comes up a lot in the articles that I've read about this band. Even in an interview that I saw with Mark Brzezicki and Bruce Watson that like came out in like 2010 or something like that. Like They said they wanted to avoid sounding like Thin Lizzy with the uh, twin guitars. And here's the thing. I love Thin Lizzy, so I have no problem with that. I mean, I guess they were probably trying to avoid certain classic rock trappings, and that may be. But even Watson said he loved Thin Lizzy, too. So you can't fight the Lizzy man. <laughs> um, and it's going to pop up. And I think that you could almost say in some ways, and this isn't to like, you know reduced the band but they were kind of like the scottish new wave power pop version of thin lizzy in some ways and, you know they're embracing their roots you know but just on the other side of the irish sea and the end he just goes out with the, the two separate like guitar melodies kind of dueling each other and mark Brzezicki just kind of going off so it's a cool song man
0: and mike
2: I agree. Another cool one. It's back with big drums and bass after such a heavy tune. The sequencing here really works well. Uh, Tony Butler up in the mix, like Ray, you were saying he really gets in his chops. Through this whole thing, I just picture that '80s pogo that like occurred at shows. Like <laughs> everybody just kind of everybody's bouncing along. Um, yeah. I love how the guitars are melodic and disconnected from each other at the same time. It, 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 they, they work together somehow, despite a seemingly disjointed feel. And it just it's really smart. It just I just continue to, continue to be impressed by this record and the band in general. It's another great song.
0: So the drums are really prominent on this one, almost too upfront in the mix. And the guitars are super dense, but they also interplay with each other, which I usually love. If something feels off-kilter, I think you were kind of saying this, Mike. They sound screechy to me, and it distracts me at some points. There's one passage where they lock in with each other, and I dig that. But then the screechy part returns, and it takes me out of it again. Lyrically, the narrator is having a run of bad luck. It's kind of vague as to what's going on, but he clearly has issues. Things are not going his way. Not even the luck of a thousand stars can help him. And, you know, I'm beginning to think Stuart Adamson was not a happy guy. (laughs) This one doesn't connect with me. It's my least favorite. You know what it's called. Aaron's Stinky Stinker. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) The following track is The Storm. How about this one?
1: Um, wow. You got a super intro with – I'm pretty sure that's the E-Bode guitar. Um, I, I think that's the one that I saw from the tube. That, that, that's um, Stuart Addison doing that part. sounds, But this time, instead of something like um, a bagpipe, it almost sounds like they're going for like a violin or kind of a sound or like, more like a cello or a string section kind of a sound. Um, it almost kind of conjures like images of like of a post-battlefield scene, which I suppose is kind of shaded by the rest of the lyrics when it actually kicks in. And it sounds almost like Tony Butler's playing like, some bass chords, which I love hearing, especially like, when guys like Steve Severin do it. It just sounds really kind of otherworldly. And you get this weird, like, wordless female vocal in the background. All i they got to say, it is kind of an odd intro. In a minute, four seconds in, you get the acoustic guitars kind of pick up, and you get some really nice brushwork on the snare from Mark Brzezicki. Tony Butler's bass part in the verse section is actually kind of intriguing. I think if you took that out of the verse section, it would be a completely different song. At a minute and forty-three seconds, Tony Butler's sixteen-note part or sixteenth-note little rhythm figure that he's playing with the female vocal it makes like kind of a direction shift for what the next part's going to. The odd, uh, my James, they didn't have to do this. Another great line in the song is, "And nobody smiled as we took home our own." There's a, like a lot of just like post-battle regret stuff going on in this stuff, and I kind of like it. it kinda, like makes you think like scenes like in like fucking uh, Braveheart, where like you have like the Battle of Sterling and all the bodies and stuff like that after. Um, at five minutes and three seconds, we get a little guitar pipe melody that kind of harkens to the vocal melody. And Mark Brzezicki does this weird thing at like five minutes and 20 seconds in. It's like some weird rototimes. It's not like he's sitting on the end of the first beat and the second on the, the first primary beat of the second part. It's like it, and it becomes more prominent at the five minute and 52 second mark all the way out to the song. And so it just finally kind of takes over where it's just him and the female vocals. It's a pretty epic song, a little bit of a downer, but it's still pretty cool.
0: Mike?
2: So you've got that opening, not quite guitar pipe sound like uh, Ray you were talking about, and you those haunting female vocals that kind of the echoes that bridges it into the acoustic guitar. I, I really like that, and I love how they infuse the the Celtic folk elements, but they kept it rock. It just and you and you can even like that bassline you were talking about. You can picture someone like dancing a jig to the bassline as the song kind of swirls around them. Uh, word. And it's almost getting tiring at this point, but are like, great vocals yet again. You know, he, 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 he knocks it out of the park. He does a great job through this whole album. And for me, it really hit home on this song. What notes, what lines to emphasize, what words to draw out, which ones to hold back on. Um, just very smart the way he does everything. And the way it finishes, there's that echoey swirling end, you know, and it swirls almost like a storm, maybe. So, <laughs> I, whoa. Cut so it out. I, I, I cut it, get out of here. Um, so, but I, I really like this track too. This album is seriously kicking my ass right now.
0: The guitar strings, or whatever we're calling them, lead off this one, playing that somber melody with a dreaming, floating vocal over it that leads to the folky acoustic guitar part and busy, brushed drumming that. When you combine this with a vocal melody, it kind of gives the vibe of a Scottish folk tune. There's an epic feel to this. It's over six minutes with multiple sections that switch up tempos and rhythms with layered guitars and instruments such as mandolin and the ever-present Ebo to evoke a certain mood. And again, the drum work is excellent, if still a little loud in the mix. The wordless, ah, vocals add a sense of drama. And Stewart's vocals are booming and reverbed. Celtic Thunder's got nothing on big country. (laughs) The lyrics are about the 1745 Jacobite Rebellion in which a Scottish army attempted to restore the House of Stuart to the British throne, but were ultimately defeated at the Battle of Culloden and turned back. And for all you history buffs, if I fucked that up, I apologize. (laughs) Stuart again turns in a heartfelt vocal performance as he takes the viewpoint of the Scots and the fear of uncertainty after the uprising. This is one of the strongest tracks on the album, and I dig it. So let's flip the imaginary record over and drop the imaginary needle on Harvest Home.
1: what do you say i fucking love this track man this is another a3 pluser for me um i love the, gu- the guitar pipe melody coming in and Brzezicki and butler were brought in i guess originally to play on this track maybe in the demo version and that's what kind of got them i think they were called like rhythm for hire or yes. something like that before uh, watson and uh adamson hired them. and uh man like if this was their audition piece this is the hell of a way to, to to get in i like how there's like uh they split the solo vocals and the vocal harm section in the beginning, the verse section, and then it just to kind of just, they just do vocal harming and the rest of it. Once again, man, I'm loving Tony Butler's bass lines, especially on this track. Holy shit. Especially at the 43 second mark where he plays this line that sounds oddly like a D- Bo Diddley beat, that don't, 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 don't.
3: It's
1: fucking nice. Uh, the guitar pipe hook at 43 seconds is fucking nutty good. At the 50 second mark, we get some. Great, great guitar harmonies, kind of like Thin Lizzy again. And at the second chorus, we get a killer breakdown at the one minute fifty-one second mark. Mark Brzezicki this time, has some awesome percussion going on in the background. There's like a muted guitar passage that kind of reminds me a little bit of Roy Gallagher's solo on "Walk On Hot." Calls that, um, which is answered by like another guitarist. The other guitarist playing kind of this hot lick, like in the higher treble range. And then at two minutes and eight seconds, we get kind of this cool low-end guitar melody, a la Boston's "Peace of Mind," but just kind of doing a Celtic melody version of that. <laughs> um, I didn't really know the lyrics for this song. Like, I could pick up bits and pieces of it, but I didn't know what the hell. I, knew.
3: <laughs> that, I
1: know, yo, that meant. Um, But I looked it up, and the last lines of the song are "Watch Canute and his Bride." And like, what the fuck is that all about? So I looked it up. And Canute was the Danish king of England, Denmark, Norway, and some of the Swedes. This is how he's listed in Wikipedia, anyway. Um, so you know, there's a little bit of Northern European honky history for you. <laughs> and on the way out, Brzezicki throws in this kind of awkwardly cool offbeat thing at the three minute and forty nine second mark. It kind of throws it in there, and then like as it goes on, it it becomes more accentuated every time they kind of go through the part. It always sounds like they're coming on heavy on that one off beat and it just kind of, it throws you a little bit, but it's still like in time. So that's cool. So yeah, this is a fucking killer track.
2: Mike, <laughs> No, when I, when I heard this, I, I couldn't believe it was a, a single, not because it's not good. I mean, I know I understand why it's a single, but how the hell did I not know this song? The guitar lead, it's melodic, it's danceable, it's catchy as hell. It's funny as hell now, Ray, after the history part about the, the queen, basically, and him yelling yo ho. So he's calling the queen a ho, which is <laughs> funny as hell. <laughs> um, I love the noodly so- solo over more of that big drum sound. Ray, you touched on it. Tony totally Butler's bass, again, man, uh, like this guy is so underrated. Um, and I can see why it was a single, and it's another fucking great fucking song it's great it's awesome i love it
0: this track is dominated by the really cool guitar melodies this band really focused on making them catchy and memorable and the effects they put on them enhance the sound again the emphasis is on making the music and lyrics feel scottish and the music is less about showy solos but sounding melodic and along with the vocal delivery gives you that sense of scotland The bass and drums provide a danceable rhythm. And the bass, again, like we've all been saying, it isn't just playing root notes, but a secondary melodic line. The lyrics feel of another time when the harvest was crucial to survival and people lived simply off the land. A simpler or maybe better, I don't know, time with a strong sense of community that got lost over the years. I don't know. That's what I'm reading from it anyway. I'm probably wrong. There are more vocal, (laughs) Whoops, (laughs) and it's another personality stamp for this band. This track was actually the band's first single, released independently in 1982 and was added to this album. And it's another winner. Hey, Canute, your wife's oh. at <laughs>
2: Is that what it means when someone's canoodling? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have questions. I don't know. <laughs>
0: That's
2: awesome. <laughs>
0: The next track is Lost Patrol. can you find them? No,
1: I cannot find The Lost Patrol. (laughs) We get back to some kind of Ebo love, some heavy slapback on the guitars, and probably the closest to like a standard rock bass line played by Butler in this whole album. It's still pretty good, though. From what I've read, the songwriting credits go solely to uh, Brzezicki and Bruce Watson, um, which might explain some things, which is not to slam either of one of those guys, but there's something that I really can't put my finger on it that's lacking. This could have been a passable instrumental in its own right. Like I almost kind of wish they just kind of cut the lyrics off and left it as an instrumental, and maybe let uh, Adamson throw in some more hooks. There's a weird guitar, like with volume swells in the verse section. It's got like this weird lightsaber kind of effect. <laughs> The guitar work from about two minutes to two minutes and 29 seconds almost reminds you of Wayne Hussey's work on the Sister of Mercy's album, First and Last and Always. Um, I think Mr. Hussey was, must have been listening to this album when he kind of came up with some of his guitar work from that. He also had this band called The Mission UK that was kind of big in the mid-80s, I guess, in the art rock college scene. I don't really know that album much, but I do know uh, First and Last of All and Always is a really, I think it's probably the best Sisters of Mercy album. Um, so if you're interested in that and stuff, I recommend it highly. I got to tell you, overall, this song is just not, I don't find it quite as hooky as the other one. So I'm going to have to say that this is Ray's (laughs) unimpressed musical pick.
2: (laughs) I don't hate it, but it just doesn't grab me. (laughs) Mike. Ray is wrong. Okay, (laughs) that's what I have to say. i love i love the lead playing on this entire album the lead brings you in you get some more great drum work and tony butler again here we go killing it as usual you got that big yeah 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 oh yeah or however it goes that <laughs> chorus but that volume swell that you're talking about ray Yeah, i, I said that's jaws it was like the jaws theme <laughs> all of a sudden came in i was like what the fuck we're gonna need a bigger band <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> it completely unneeded um The song itself is is cool, and it's back to the good stuff. I love how the band as a whole keeps the song together as Anderson plays that slower melody over the top, going back for that yeah, yeah, chorus, however it goes, and then all of a sudden, ding, ding, Candy Graham, the land shark is back. (laughs) I don't fucking get that part of the song at all. (laughs) Plumber. Live, they... (laughs) live they don't do any of the land shark thing at all so um it's it's great live because you don't have that volume swell in it and that's what i care to remember about the song um it's a great tune for me ray is wrong i need to say that again
0: (laughs) (laughs) i'll own it (laughs) we get more ebo and delayed guitar and this time they almost sound like accordions in the pre-choruses This is another solid rocker that's working the now-established big country formula and sounds cool. The syncopated drums and pulsing bass hold down the rhythm while the guitarists get unique tones and use them to create droning hypnotic melodies. Stewart still heroically calling out the lyrics along with a, ay, 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 and a bellows. <laughs> nice. the That's pro- what I was going for. <laughs> <laughs> the lyrics probably reference some Scottish historical event where a military patrol blindly marches on to some horrific battle with the English, but I'm not a Scottish history scholar, so fucked if I know. Sounds cool though. <laughs> it's another good track. <laughs>
1: All right, sorry. I had to get it out of my system.
0: The following track is close action. Let's have it. This is kind of an oddly
1: understated little song. It's got a, a cool d- little distorted guitar melody intro. And then the, they're in the verse section, it's got, you know, just simple guitar chords under the, the, the vocals. There's something about Turbine's turnings and Stoker's sweating and fucking monkeys burning. I don't really know what the hell it's about, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I have no clue. But uh, I got to say, Stuart Adamson's vocal melody on the chorus is really catchy. Uh, I love the guitar figure played after the chorus at the one-minute mark. It's not flashy, but it stands out, and it's simple, and it's effective. It's that almost like, I think it's an arpeggio, but then they kind of like add some flavor to it. And then they develop that line later on. It's the same thing at the two-minute-and-41-second mark. It's another cool guitar lead, and it's a little bit of harmonizing. And I'm going to say it again. I know they wanted to avoid the Thin Lizzy comparisons, but... I'll be honest. I can hear a lot of Thin Lizzy, and and but I don't think that that's a bad thing. That's not a strike against them. So, I kind of wish they kind of uh, maybe just embraced it a little bit more. But you know, still, I, I it's it's cool. This is a cool track, man.
2: Rock and Mike. All right, so when this one when this one first started, I was like, uh oh, we're gonna go loud, and I, it really for that brief second, I thought it was gonna go loud, and then nope. But it does <laughs> have a little bit of swagger for a for like a millisecond. There's a brief moment of swagger before. We before getting with it, it gets dreamy on me. And then it has some of the like a back and forth rhythm, you know, Tony Butler back up in the mi- in the mix. And it says a perfect backdrop for me anyway, for some of the most heartfelt lyrics on the album, if not the entirety of the 80s. Just some great lines. I will carry you home with the gods in my eyes. I will carry you home while the westerlies sigh. You know, I I, I can't say it enough how much this album is kicking my ass. And because I did not give these guys a chance at all. And just every track after track after track, they're showing me why I should have been listening to them since this came out. And another great tune. I like it a
0: lot. This one sounds a little different. It's different from all the other tracks in the album. And the, the big part of the reason is the rhythm section is playing a shuffle groove and the guitars play a more basic riff. It also has two solo sections that are melodic and drenched in effects that give them that big country vibe. Butler's bass is a highlight, and I like how he moves the bass line up and down, not quite walking, but he grabs a couple of high notes and dips back down to the low end, keeping it in motion. He's kind of a secret weapon in this band. A lot of post-punk groups had interesting bass players. Ray, you've touched on that, and this guy's no exception. I dig the I will carry you home vocal in the chorus, and Stuart's really accentuating his oh, yo, holler. So, lyrically, I'm picking up that there have been people separated. I don't know if they're lovers or family or soldiers, but the missing party is on its way home. I don't know. The words are getting more obscure, and all I'm hearing is Stuart's oh, yo. There was a farmer had a pig. yo <laughs> This is yet another winner for me. Luca. The penultimate track is Fields of Fire, 400 Miles. What do you think of
1: this? Dude, I love this song. It kind of comes at you with a gallop at five seconds. You get like that rhythm guitar and bass and 22nd seconds in, you get this classic guitar pipeline. The verse section is made up of Mark Brzezinski's driving backbeat and muted guitar strings. While Stuart Adamson sings the vocal, the verse section, which is answered by a guitar riff, which is all very, very hooky on their part. The vocal harms in the chorus are awesome as well. Uh, There's an echo effect on the, the fields of fire, 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 fire. (laughs) It's, Kind of corny, but it's kind of oddly endearing too, because let's face it, like, I don't know, five years later, Perry Farrell's using it on like some Jane's Addiction tracks too, so it's not like it, it wasn't observed by other people in, in different settings. So, um, at one minute and twenty-second seconds in, you get this new guitar pipe section.
3: That
1: and we get another cool guitar section at one minute and 40 second seconds. Um, what I like is that two minutes and 36 seconds, and you get this cool vocal harmonies and just the drums. No bass whatsoever at the uh, 400 miles chorus section. It's powerful and it's effective. The ending is just a little odd. Like after he says in Fields of Fire, you expect like a little bit more explosive stuff and kind of a big bombastic ending, but you don't get that. Things just get kind of stripped down from there. Um, we get the military drums at two minutes and 55 seconds, some guitar melodies in the background, a little bass fills from Tony Butler, but it's like a weird slow fade out. It's almost seems kind of premature i guess but i'll be honest with you the first time i heard the song on solid gold and right to this song to now i still love this song i will play it over and over again in my car
0: i would walk 400 miles <laughs> but i would not walk a hundred more <laughs> mike what do you think um, so another
2: song where you that guitar pipe feel again that come in after that melodic intro, and I also like how the guitars drop out and he sings over some of the great. It's just again and some great drumming he sings over the top of the guitar uh, solo slides. To me, it almost remind me of like a fiddle, and some of the lines on the in the vocals. It's kind of the the, again, the volume goes up like he did in a big country. But then in other lines, it starts up and then it drops back down. And I like how he goes back and forth with that, with the delivery. And again, as we were talking, as I was mentioning on other songs earlier on the album that I like, I I think he's very smart in his vocal delivery, how he how he picks and chooses those moments. Um, And it it, it goes back and forth. It serves the songs well. I like the song a lot. It's a good tune. I don't know if I would have made it a single. I don't know why. There's a couple other ones I, I like a little bit more, but it's still a great song. So uh, I'm all in on Fields of Fire.
0: The guitar pipes are back and grafted to a martial marching rhythm that stays insistent with a constant kick drum. This has an anthemic quality to it between the bagpipe guitar lines and the 400 miles chorus melody that reminds me a little bit of In a Big Country, but it is its own thing. I like how the music drops out in the verses and just leaves the drums for Stuart to sing over. Nice touch. And the whole song makes me want to go find a parade and march next to a line of bagpipers, is that a word? There's once again a clear influence of Scottish music, and the band totally makes it work in a rock context. Lyrically, there's obviously a 400-mile journey of some sort, and it seems the narrator is coming home. I don't know, there's women and children and toys and teachers involved, and Stuart sounds serious enough about it. I'm all about this, and it was the second single that reached number 10 on the UK singles chart. And that brings us to the final track, Poro Man. How about this last one dude this song is fucking epic
1: i you know i think i told to you see i mentioned this to you before but i think this is their stairway to heaven on this album this is like their their piece kind of starts out minimal, minimalistically and then just kind of blows up on this big huge thing one could almost make the argument that it might go just a little bit too long in some parts but um i'm not gonna go there i actually i, I like it in its entirety it starts off with that weird little guitar figure, which is played by Stuart Adamson. If you look at the live, footage, like. <laughs> um, Bruce Watson comes in kind of an even more minimalistic guitar part. Like, <laughs> and Tony adds in his own kind of voice to the mix, which I think it sounds like the three tenors like all doing, you know, like their thing, but just like singing separate songs. But they're all the same. They're, they're all basically off the same part.
0: What? You can't do bass? What? <laughs> what <laughs> the fuck, Ray? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, my balls are still in my stomach cavity, man, from trying to do guitar pipes. <laughs> I, I got some low-team moments here. Uh, <laughs> you get some um, guitar chords with some distortion at 50 seconds in, kind of rocks it up a little bit. Then at a minute and 46 seconds, you get that, that heavy chorus effect guitar that like you always hear on Early, early Cures shit and stuff by uh, Andy Summers stuff from The Police. And I really love that. And once again, I'm going back to this. And some of you are going to see this is a recipe story. I'm t- telling you, Scot- Sonic Scottish Lasagna. This is it. There's so many layers to this song. And at two minutes and 40 seconds, we get that mournful Ebo melody in the background. In three minutes, and we get like a weird, almost like keyboard-like melody. It's just it's a weird effect. When the song takes a complete directional shift, is at four minutes and 48 seconds. We get this happy Celtic square dance guitar riff. And it's kind of weird. And I'm going to go back to the Thin Lizzy stuff. It reminds me of a part of Black Rose by Thin Lizzy. You know that, like, after they're doing the whole the Danny Boy things and Shenandoah and stuff like that? Like, yeah. that last breakdown before they go to the original part? Yes. It reminds me of that. Mark Brzezinski's uh drum playing on this section really helps build the tension too that give us iron give us rope or is it give us honor give us rope I don't know but like I said earlier at six minutes 33 seconds it sounds like he's drunkly emoting (laughs) (laughs) and then somebody gave him a cup of coffee they took the single malt away from him and um it gets back to normal. I love the percussion and the guitar in this part, with like when there's like no bass whatsoever. And then it's just seven minutes, 34 seconds in, just a single chord with Mark Brzezicki playing his military drums on the way back out. It's another kind of weird ending along the same lines of Field of Fire, but it's also just kind of a, like a little bit of punctuation mark at it. It's simple but effective. Boom, the album's over.
2: and Mike. All right. So when I was first listening to this, I was looking at the time of how long the songs are. And I, the first thing I said, I was I'm like, do I really need a fucking eight minute big country song in my life? <laughs> like, Really? <laughs> and, uh, the answer is yes, I do. Apparently because <laughs> the song is, this song is awesome. The, um, Ray, like you said, it's their stairway to heaven. It's epic. It's just, it's so freaking cool. I agree. There's a couple minutes you might be able to trim down the the intro, whenever, not really intro, but the opening. You know, it's really two minutes before it comes in. It's a little long there, but I'm not going to fault them for it because it really it sets it serves the despair in the lyrics. You know, that two minutes, six minute mark, you get almost like a machine gun percussion. You get the first verse, and then you get some marching percussion. So I. I I like I delved heavily into this and looking it up and because I thought it was just their way of saying poor old man. So I I was looking at it like, okay, so the first verse was his childhood and then you have marching percussion. So he went off to war and then he comes back and I'm completely fucking wrong. Apparently, it's based on an H.G. Wells story of an H.G. title of an H.G. Wells story called Pollock and the Poor Old Man. So I'm completely wrong. I was going down a completely different path with it. Uh, but the lyrics are awesome. It, it, the, he, what an underrated lyricist. Because the laughter lies on faces where the sun has never shone. The fear of life is strong. I'm like, man, like that's some heavy shit. 1983 to like just the mid eighties, you've got, you know, Madonna, the material girl, you know, (laughs) Reagan, you know, just the, you know, Reaganism and and all the materialism that went the excess that went with the eighties. And here's this group and here's Adams and as a lyricist being successful, writing real stuff, writing real lyrics and showing real talent. I heard, uh, it was like a forum post. Somebody had said that they had seen Big Country in concert and before they went into this song, Adamson had said that this the, he wrote the song. It was about religion pulling people apart when it should be bringing them together. It's a beautiful song. And what a great way to end an album. So many albums. It seems like so many albums we covered. That last song is just a freaking throwaway dud. And this is where the sequencing really helps because this this could not have gone anywhere else in the album except the end, and it's freaking brilliant. Usually, we listen to an album we you know getting rid or at least me personally, I listen to it and I and I, I'm hitting it so often, listening so many so many times all the way through that once my notes are done, I have to listen to something else because I've just overdosed so much on whatever album we're covering for that week. Mm-hmm. Be like, all right, and, you know, and um. Today, I was out and about driving around, my notes were all completely done, and I, I put it on again, and I listened to it all the way through again. It's, um, it's a great record, um, but this song in particular, oh man, kicked my ass yet yeah, again. I love this song.
0: So both sides of the album close with an epic track. This begins with those echoed guitar notes and mid-tempo thudding drums with the bass walking up and down, and then the guitars strum percussively into the first verse. And then, after Stuart sings in his dramatic style, the martial drums appear in what sounds like an Ebo drone. I'm probably wrong again. Leads us into a long instrumental passage with layered guitars having eerie effects on them, building on each other and morphing into different sounds and textures until they melt away into the second verse. Then the song veers into a new section. The drums sound nearly tribal, but maintain that martial vibe. The tempo picks up and it feels very much to me like something you two would do in their early days with the echo droning guitar and bass running to keep up. Stewart sings again and there's some really cool. Uh, Ray, what is happening here? That, <coughs> you know, that, that uh, is it? palm muted shit. It's so fucking cool. Both guitars are doing it.
3: Oh, yeah, and yeah, they're, they're almost
0: they- interplaying with each other. It's so fucking cool. Do you know what I'm talking about? I give us rope. Give us, I that words it's like that muted.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> you think they're just mute? They got like heavily distorted guitars and they're just muting the guitar, the strings with their left hand and just raking the strings with their pick hand, I think. That's how I would be. That's the only way I would be able to post something yeah, like that. Both
0: guitarists are doing this and it sounds like rumbling trains over all the drum rack. And I fucking love this part.
1: Yeah. Shit. Yeah.
0: Then a return to the fast section that's got a sweet ascending riff. More train rumbles and finally fades out on the fast section while the martial drums linger a moment longer and then fade with the rest of it. As we've been saying, this track is over seven minutes, but I personally don't feel it. Each section pulls me in when it comes around, and it goes by faster than it seems. The lyrics deal with a poor old man, an African witch doctor who is believed to have demonic powers and appears to be preparing the narrator and his cohorts for sacrifice to save them from worldly pain, glowing rain, love, and hope. The lyrics are really good. The bleak words fit the eerie tone of the music, and this is just a stellar album closer. Now that the track by track is through, we'll go into our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a zero to five system, with five being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a zero, which got its head chopped off by the Poro Man. (laughs) Ray, what are your final thoughts on The Crossing?
1: I think it goes without saying. I just love this album. I mean, I'm all about 80s metal guitar histrionics, but I love that they almost went out of their way to kind of avoid those trappings. And on the flip side of that, they could have been very easy for them to fall into like the synth heavy uh, styles of something like Flock of Seagulls or the Thompson Twins or Spandau Ballet. But they stuck to their own guns and used electric guitars or acoustic guitars or a mandolins with Ebos or whatever the hell that they wanted to use. And they'd they pretty much That's, I think, what I admire most about them. They had great vocal harmonies. They wrote great anthemic rock, um, totally infectious guitar hooks. And let's be honest, I think the real unsung heroes of this band is the rhythm section between Tony Butler and Mark That Well, that's not the the only thing. Definitely Stuart Adamson's songwriting um, goes without saying as well. And uh, just, you know, whatever processing went into making those guitar pipes, it's awesome. I'm giving this album a five. This is, without a doubt, a Desert Island disc for me.
0: Rock and Mike, what do you think?
2: Okay, so I I've, I've been talking about it the whole time about this album kicking my ass and I listened to it uh, uh, listened to it the past couple of weeks and I didn't realize how I I just I completely missed the freaking boat on this record and I'm so <laughs> pissed at myself because it is so <laughs> it is so good. And that's why I chose in a big country as my muff because <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's that song that I heard that song was like, yeah, whatever. And and, kind of threw it away. And, you know, at this time, I was listening to new wave. We've, we covered men at work business as usual. Like I said, I was a fan of Duran Duran. And, um, so I would have listened to this at the time. And I, I just don't know. I'm just kicking myself. Cause it's such a good freaking record. Start to finish the lyrics. I covered on poor old man. What I think of Adamson, uh, Tony Butler. I've been gushing over him the whole record. Um, and, the, and the drum sound. I love everything about this record. I'm going to give it a four only because I've only been listening to it for two weeks. Um, uh, I think at some point down the road, it probably will become a five for me. It's just a great record. And I got to thank Ray, you know, for, for bringing it up and it's awful. They always say, don't judge a book by its cover. The one negative thing I have to say about this record. If I, I've always hated the fucking album cover. Yeah. Always. (laughs) Absolutely. Always. I completely, I think I was judging it on the album cover, but in between it's fantastic. What a great, what a great record.
0: Big Country formed out of the ashes of the Scottish punk band Skids and went through a few different lineup changes before settling on the final lineup after Tony Butler and Mark Brzezicki were brought in as Rhythm for Hire to play on the band's single Harvest Home. All of the band members had punk and new wave backgrounds, which showed in the energy of their songwriting and live performances. For the recording of their debut album, Big Country brought in producer Steve Lillywhite, known for his work with U2, The Psychedelic Furs, and Peter Gabriel, among many others. Lillywhite brought his big drum sound to the band and worked with the guitarists to get their signature sound, utilizing the MXR pitch transposer guitar effect to make the guitar sound like bagpipes and using an EBO to get a synthesizer or string sound out of the guitars. Though none of the band members were born in Scotland, Main members Stuart Adamson and Bruce Watson grew up there and proudly identified as Scots, and the influence of Scottish folk music strongly infuses big country sound. When it was released, The Crossing was well received by the rock press and sold well in both the UK and US, though the single In a Big Country was the band's only US hit and the band faded away in that country soon after. But the band remained popular in the UK and had many more hit records there until the band did a farewell tour and called it quits in May 2000. Stuart Adamson, the band's chief songwriter, lyricist, and guiding light, had suffered from alcoholism and personal problems over the years. And unfortunately, this culminated in his hanging himself in a Honolulu, Hawaii hotel room in December 2001. But let's get back to this album. I'm a big fan of post-punk, whatever that is, it's a pretty broad term. And the music on this record, to me, is a fine example of what post-punk's all about. Big Country really hit upon a unique sound, with the driving, bagpipe guitars, and they carved out a musical niche all their own, their own brand of Scott rock. It took me a few listens to really get what they were doing, but once I caught on, this record grew on me more and more with each listen. I give The Crossing a three and a half. And I also thank you, Ray, for picking this album, because otherwise I might have never sought it out. This was a really enjoyable listen. And from Albumatics, William Stewart Adamson. Rest in peace. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast at places like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review of it. If you take the time to do that, we'll read your review right here on the show. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com and also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast, including the Album Addicts branch of the show. You can also recommend the show on Facebook if you prefer to do it that way. And yes, we'll read your Facebook recommendation on the podcast. We're also on Twitter at R4PodcastAaron and Instagram under R4Podcaster. You want to come on the podcast and talk about an album with us? Let us know and we'll set it up. We're always looking for co-pilots to host a show with us, and we would also welcome any requests or suggestions for albums to cover. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for Albumatics, I'm Aaron. I'm Ray. And I'm Mike. See ya. If it's not Scottish, it's crap.
2: Pardon me, would you kindly close your tramp cavity whilst I'm verbalizing my opinions?
4: Ever tell the guys a story about how, um, when I was working at a gas station, this dude from Scotland was talking to me the entire summer, and I could never understand what the hell he was saying? No, that's hilarious. No. <laughs> it's funny. He's sitting there, and like, he decided to one day to like towards the the five camps in Hinsdale, Massachusetts, are like all for like people rich kids from like Westchester County. And what these camps decided to do was put some program over to the UK, where kids from the UK would come over and work maintenance in those camps. Well, this one dude from Scotland who maintenance from Camp Ramaka. Would come in, he'd say a little things here and there, and I'd do the Andrew Dice
3: play thing where I'd kind of like nod my head and go, Yeah! He's <laughs> <laughs> so <I'm> talking fucking us. <laughs> you know, but
4: he was like a genuinely cool dude, you know, <laughs> and stuff like that, you know? <laughs> and then, like, finally, one day after about 10 minutes, over the countenance, over the countenance, and he just looks, looks at me, stop what he's saying, he like clears his throat, and he goes, <coughs> You cannot understand a word I'm saying, can you? <laughs> <laughs> and this gospel truth, and I just, like, nodded my head and was like, no, man, I haven't understood you all <laughs> 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 <That's> <laughs> so much. Awesome. So he had a good sense of humor about it, which is nice. I gotta say this one thing, I know it's a preview to the poor man, but it sounds at one point like... <laughs> Gives up on saying uh, iron or rope and goes, <laughs> <laughs> like, Whoa! You man, lay off the single knot. <laughs> 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 uh, it's no safe to dance. <laughs> <laughs> <So> you can <laughs> dance so you want to. Leave your friends a line. That would have worked before <laughs> when you asked. S- 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 Hey, hey, hey. If we put that in there, that wouldn't work right? <laughs> <laughs> Next time we start echoing, that's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> oh, we can dance if we wanna, we can leave your friends behind. Because your friends don't
0: dance, and if they don't dance, i
3: well, no, no friends of mine. <laughs> <laughs>
4: I think Mike's on us something. We should do it. I'm telling you, man. You could have to set up a Patreon and get people to pay, like. Do like three dollars a month, and they you want some bon- like, <laughs> <laughs> bonus. Episode what's a bonus episode, bonus track, the safety dance. Give us a buck. Yeah. We can recreate the video. Who's <laughs> <laughs> the little person. I don't care. I'll, I'll, I'll just put i put shoes on my kneecap. Yeah. <laughs> like, dwarf, um, like, like dwarf, like dwarf, <laughs> 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 like dwarf, yeah. dwarf. <laughs> Dorf <laughs> does new age. <laughs> <laughs>